We'll be in John chapter 20 today. And last week, we started the narrative of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his empty tomb. And we talked last week about the fact that Jesus Christ was raised, resurrected unto glory. That it was not like the resurrection of Lazarus, who was raised perishable, who went on and died again. His body was fallible. But Jesus was raised into something imperishable. Jesus was resurrected into glory. And we said that his resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. There will be a resurrection at the last day where the dead will be called unto God. Come out of the earth, out of the sea, wherever they lay, and they will be called home to Jesus. And the wicked will be called to their eternal destruction. And we saw last week that John believed. He looked in the tomb and said he saw it was empty and he believed. But Mary, at this point, is still misunderstood as to what exactly has happened. Where have they taken the body of Jesus? And that's where we pick up today. So let me remind you that this is the word of the living God. So take heed how you hear it. And we'll begin in verse 11. But Mary stood, weeping outside the tomb, And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, (coughs) but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you've given us. You are certain, sure, infallible, inerrant, inspired, authoritative, all-sufficient word. We pray today that you might use this word to minister to your flock, that you might use this word to feed the sheep. Uh, Pray that your word would go forth uh, and that we would receive it as trustworthy, as as effective. I pray that we would receive it as your words, not just as words on a page, Lord, help me to, to decrease so that you might increase. We ask and pray for the powerful working of your spirit. For apart from him, uh, this will fall all on deaf ears and will be a futile attempt. So God, would you work in this place as only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think all of us at times have been uh, devastated over things in this life and in this world. There's times when it seems that the hurts just 
keep on piling up the losses, the hardships, the trials. And just when you think you're out of the weeds, another trial comes. More bad news follows. I think we all have experienced that life in this broken world can be that, like that at times. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. And Mary here seems to be in a very similar situation. She just wants to come and anoint the body of Jesus. When they buried our Lord, they did it with haste because the Sabbath was looming. They needed to stop working so that they could observe the Sabbath. And they've come back here early the following day after the Sabbath on Sunday to anoint the body of our Lord, to honor Him in this small way as they process and deal with their grief. It seems that now this wound has been opened back up as the body of Jesus has apparently been stolen, moved somewhere else. And as we see today, Mary, at this point of despair, of really being discouraged and depressed, what follows this event right here is probably one of the greatest moments in her life. And what I would say is probably one of the greatest privileges in all of human history. Those are, those are big words, right? But we know and we see that our Lord is always making beauty from that which is broken. Amen? He's always redeeming that which has been lost. So let's turn back to our text. And we do see here, the text does begin with Mary's bitter tears. Mary's bitter tears here at the outset of our passage. Verse 11, John 20. It says, Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. We see, as I said, the bitter tears of Mary. She seems to be distraught, right? We can see a sincere love that she had for Christ. We can see her broken heart over not only his death, but now the fact that someone's desecrated his tomb, taken away him from his resting place. You can tell from this story here that she still is not understanding what has happened to Jesus, you can tell that they thought his death was final. There is no expectation of a resurrection here. She didn't see the empty tomb and say, praise God, he's come back from the dead. She sees the empty tomb and says, where have they taken his body? You see that they believed his death was final. Now, yes, they understood a resurrection at the last day, at far, far away of all people. But it seems the disciples were not expecting an immediate resurrection of our Lord. And John told us that in verse 9. He says, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So that was still not, they hadn't really grasped that reality. But what we do see here from the outset is Mary's love for the Lord Jesus. I think her sincere affection for Christ. And I think, church, that we would all agree that the Lord Jesus is worthy of that sort of love. That the Lord Jesus is worthy of our heartfelt, sacrificial affection. 
Not just a cold sort of intellectual love or gratitude for Jesus, but a truly concerned, heartfelt, sacrificial love for Christ. Consider for a moment who this Savior is, what this Savior has done. What a Savior we have that, as he says in Luke 4, comes to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, that's not just those that are poverty-stricken, right? That is those that are spiritually bankrupt, those that see that in and of themselves they have no righteousness, no spiritual vitality, that they need another, that they need Christ. What a Savior that we have that says that He comes to proclaim liberty to captives. Not only does He proclaim liberty to captives, but He says He sets at liberty those that are oppressed. What a Savior we have that today, right now, regardless of what the news says, regardless of what's happening in the culture, what a Savior we have that right now rules over every throne, every dominion, every ruler, and every authority. And He will place His enemies under His feet one day. What a Savior that we have that has made peace by the blood of His cross. He is the one that supplies every need of yours through His riches in glory. He is the one that right now upholds everything, this universe, our lives, by His mighty Word. He is the one, as we have seen these past couple of weeks, that died for our sins, was buried and raised. And He is the one that through faith in His name, your and my sin can be blotted out eternally, beloved. It's not just today you come to Christ and the slate is clean and now you got to go on and you better do good because you've had your past erased. Like if you went to court and had a, a, a crime expunged, that's just the past, right? You're good from that point on. But if you get in trouble again, you're guilty again. It's on your record again. No, Jesus Christ blots out our sin, past, present, and future. Is He worthy, church? Is He worthy, church? Yes. He certainly is. We see the affection that Mary has for her Lord, <clears throat> but we see the love that He has for His own. Interesting here that even at His death, He sends His angels. And it's kind of odd if you read this text only in John because Mary seems to not really skip a beat, right? She's there. She looks in the tomb. There's two angels. They ask her, what are you, why are you crying? And she just starts talking. She's not afraid. She's not taken aback. She's just having a conversation. Now, we do see plenty of times in the Bible where, the, where an angel comes and they're a man. They, they're a human being. They don't look, they're not splendid. They're not blazing white. They look like a human. But we also want to understand that the gospel writers are emphasizing different things, right? If you read this text in the other gospels, you'll see more about these angels. You will see fear. You will see dazzling white. We read in Matthew that his appearance, one of them at least, was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. We heard here that they were just dressed in white. 
But the gospel writers are often emphasizing different things, different perspectives. And, and we do the same thing. It doesn't mean that they're wrong or they're conflicting. If you and I tell a story about something we saw, we might tell it from different vantage points. So if we were watching a baseball game, if there's any baseball fans here, and it was bottom of the ninth, two outs, two runners on, two strikes, right? The, the pressure's on and the pitcher winds up and he's, pitched, uh, he's trying to pitch a complete game. He's had a great game, but he's got a couple runners on in the bottom of the ninth, and he pitches this slider, the hitter whiffs, and he misses, and it's game over, right? Game seven, win the playoffs, whatever. And you might tell that story and say, man, that pitcher was on point, and he pitched that clutch slider at the end of the game, two outs, game over, and he won the game. And somebody else might see the same game and say, man, they had the greatest hitter of our day. He's been hitting those low sliders all season, and he whiffed, and he blew the whole thing. What a letdown. That hitter lost the game. Same story, two different tales, two different vantage points. And it seems that John, in this account, is emphasizing Mary, her grief and her role in the resurrection and, and what she gets to do. I want to think for a second, what is the, what is the point of an angel? We see two angels here that have come. They, they do roll back the stone. That certainly happens. But what does the Bible say is the purpose of an angel coming to this earth? The author to the Hebrews helps us with that question. In Hebrews 1, the author is contrasting Christ and angels and showing, yes, angels are amazing. They're different than us, but they do not compare to the Son of God. And it's giving all these statements that God has spoken about Jesus that he would never speak about an angel. And then it says this about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So angels are ministering servants sent out to serve for the sake of God's elect, those that are saved or will be saved. And our Lord sends these ministering servants to comfort his sheep even at his death. We see his love for his own, his concern for his own, and we see them in the other accounts seeking to comfort the disciples. Do not cry, do not be concerned. He is, he is alive. Mary loves her Lord. Our Lord certainly loves his own. And number two, he comforts his own. My second point is the comforting call of the shepherd. The comforting call of the shepherd. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around, Mary did, and saw Jesus standing there. She did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now all of a sudden she notices, she notices this man standing behind, behind her, beside her. And at first she thinks him to be the gardener. Right? And she says, if, you're, if you've done something with his body, take him away or bring him to me. I'll take him for you. 
What have you done with Jesus? She does not recognize the Lord Jesus initially. Why is that, you think? Different thoughts there. Maybe one, she's distraught. She's got tears running down her face, streaming. She's upset. She doesn't recognize him. He's not in the state that he just previously was, beaten and bloodied and unrecognizable. Could be that. But it seems that after his resurrection, Jesus does this multiple times. He's able to veil himself. Whether it's his body, could be that, or whether it's their minds, just veiling his, his, his um, likeness from their minds. We see that in Luke chapter 24 in the road to Emmaus. Jesus walks up to some disciples and says, hey, what's going on today? And they're shocked. Have you not heard that Christ, he's dead, the prophet Jesus of Nazareth, they killed him. And then they're talking, having a dialogue, and he has this amazing Bible study with him, with them where he shows them all of the Scripture and the Old Testament that spoke of him. And all of a sudden, their eyes are opened, and they see it's Christ. It's him. He's here with us. John 21, which we'll see in the coming weeks, Jesus is on the beach cooking some fish for his disciples. And initially, they don't recognize him. They don't see that it is the Lord. And then he opens their eyes. And we see that here. At first, she does not see or even hear his voice. She doesn't recognize that it is him. And he asks her a couple questions. And I'm curious about these questions. Do they have any relevance? Are they just questions you might ask to get her thinking? Or is he prodding a bit? Is there a gentle reproof in these questions? He asks her first, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Have you not heard all that I said about myself? Did you not believe the scripture that spoke of the fact that the Christ had to be resurrected? Have you not understood these last years that this was coming? Have I not prepared you for this moment? He might be trying to get her to think. Or secondly, whom are you seeking? Do you not know who I am? Have you failed to recognize that before Abraham was, I am, that I am the great I am. Whether he is prodding her or not, we see here with one word, her eyes are opened. With one word, Mary is able to see and behold the Lord Jesus. Verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turned. She said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, and I could hear, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to interject something that's not in the text. I could hear a bit of a squeal, like, like that little dude back there, right? Excitement. Rabboni, it's you, master, Lord. That word means teacher or master. You're alive. Wow, it's, it's Jesus. She's talking to him, and then boom, it's you. As soon as she heard her name. Now, I can't help here, but think about John chapter 10, right? Jesus is the good shepherd, right? In John chapter 10. And what does the good shepherd do, church, for his sheep? He lays on his life. He does. And the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name. And what does he say that his sheep do when they hear his shepherd's call? He says they come to their shepherd. They hear his voice and they follow him. Why? Because he is their shepherd. 
and he lays down his life for his sheep. And in one moment here, one word spoken by Christ, her grief turns into gratitude. Her despair turns into delight and her pain turns into peace as Mary's eyes are opened and she beholds the risen Christ right before her eyes. Now, previously, it seems that her eyes were veiled. Her understanding was veiled. She was unable to see the Lord. And with a word, they were opened. She was given understanding. Beloved, is this not the same when Christ calls his sheep to himself? Is this not the work that he has done in your life as he has sovereignly drawn and called you to himself? We needed that veil removed. Amen? We needed our hard, as we saw Wednesday in Ephesians, our hard, darkened, calloused hearts softened. We needed those layers and layers of unbelief to be peeled back. We needed to see Him for who He truly is. And as Jesus says, when the good shepherd calls His sheep, they hear their shepherd's voice, and they follow their shepherd. And one day, beloved, you may have been four years old. You may have been in the middle of your life. And I understand that sometimes our conversion story, as we like to say, can be different, especially when we were young. There wasn't a, a darkness to light as strong of a turning. But every person in this room whether you just remember loving Jesus your entire life, every person in this room one day heard that voice, heard that shepherd's call as he drew you to himself, as he brought his word to life in a way that it had not previously been. And when your shepherd spoke your name, his call was irresistible. When your shepherd spoke your name, your eyes were opened for the first time to finally see Jesus as Mary has seen Jesus here today. The shepherd calls, the sheep hear, and they follow. They see their shepherd for who he is. As we talked about this morning when we were in Sunday school, that repentance includes an acknowledgement of God. He's the creator and I am the creature in awakening to that reality. Now I ask you, church, do you still this day love the voice of your shepherd? Do you still this day love the words of your shepherd? Because he still speaks. Amen. He still speaks to us through his word. We may not have him standing here in front of us, giving us command commands and assuring us of things, but he still speaks to his sheep today. Church, do you allow the voice, the words of your shepherd to build you up and to grow your faith that your roots might be dug deep? We were talking yesterday about, now I'm no plant person, but <laughs> as you can tell, trimming some plants and putting them in water and a little root grows and a bigger root grows, and at some point you put it in dirt. I think that's how that works. But you got to wait a while, right? You want, a, you want a, a, a nice root. You want to have something that can grow into the dirt, that can, that can receive from the soil. 
And so we too, through the word of God, we want those deep, long roots, like those terrible trees in your backyard that go through the whole ground and pop the sidewalk up and, and you can't even dig when you realize the trees over there, but the roots have grown 20 feet. Those are the roots that we want anchored in the Lord as he speaks to us. Do you allow the voice of your shepherd, his word, to feed you, to nourish your soul? Do you have an appetite for these things? You know, when you try to, when you try to stop eating sugar, it takes the power of the Spirit of God, does it not? When you try to stop eating sugar, your appetite has to change. But if you're constantly going to sweets, you have that sweet tooth. You're constantly drawn to it. But you have to replace it with something else and turn away from it for a season. And as we feed on the Word of God, His Word gives us a greater appetite. It grows. The things of the world, we realize, they just give us cavities and stomach aches. But the, the, the true Word nourishes the soul. Are you led today by the words of your shepherd? As he lovingly seeks to guide and to direct and to warn and as we saw in Psalm 23, lead us to still waters, those places of peace. Are we today submitted to his word? The scripture is great for encouraging Bible verses and, and coffee cups and bumper stickers, but sometimes it speaks plainly and strongly into our lives. It challenges the way that we think and the way that we live. Are we submitted to be obedient to the voice of our shepherd? Are we being sanctified by that word, allowing it to reprove, to convict, to correct, to steer us in a different direction when it speaks in our life? We see that his sheep hear his voice. And lastly, we see that his sheep speak of their shepherd. Number three, truth worth shouting truth worth shouting now this next verse is a bit challenging to interpret there's many different thoughts from many different commentators on exactly what jesus meant here he says to her in verse 17 do not cling to me for i have not yet ascended to the father but go to my brothers and say to them i am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. It seems to be a bit of a, of a strong word. She's excited. She's thrilled. He's alive. And he says, back off. Don't, don't, don't cling to me. Now, the way I understand this is that from this point on, he is going to minister to them through his spirit. That his time of earthly fellowship and earthly walking side-by-side side ministry with them, that time is over. He is shortly going to ascend to the right hand of his father, and he wants her to not cling to this shell, his earthly body, even though it's resurrected. He wants her to tell the brothers that he's alive, but he is shortly going to ascend to the right hand of his father. We have then this glorious last verse. I love this verse. I love these words. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. What 
greater news is there to announce than I have seen Jesus Christ? Is that not the essence of all of our testimony? I've seen Jesus. I have come to know Jesus Christ. He is doing things here that have not previously happened. I am loving things I've never loved. I am hating things I've always loved. I'm enjoying reading His Word, which I never have. I am beholding Jesus Christ for the very first time. Isn't that, is that not the essence of our testimony as we communicate it to people? I've seen Jesus. Now, many people in her day saw Jesus, right? And it profited them nothing. They saw him. They heard his preaching. They saw him working miracles. And it profited them nothing except it stored up condemnation for them on that day that they denied the grace of God. But Mary here sees him savingly. She sees the Lord and she confesses, Rabboni, Master, Teacher, it is you. And I love this. She returns to the apostles with the greatest news of all, that Jesus Christ is alive. The tomb is empty. The grave could not hold him. Death could not contain him. I have seen our Lord and our Master. That was good news then, beloved, and that is good news today, 2,000 years later. It is the greatest news that we can ever hear that Jesus Christ is alive. Now, I want to try to land this plane, and I want to do that by doing two things. I want to finish with a question and an exhortation. A question and an exhortation. Firstly, the question, in light of what has taken place here with Mary Magdalene, seven demons had been exercised from this woman. My question to you today is this. How might God be pleased to use you? How might God be pleased to use you? Notice what has happened. One of her worst days ever has turned to one of her greatest days ever. Jesus was dead, and now Jesus is alive. Remember who she is. Remember where she's been. She was a demon-possessed woman. Now, you may be tempted here today to think that things like your past, things like your upbringing, maybe your family ties, maybe your lack of formal training, maybe you're tempted to look inward and say, God would never use me. God would never use me. I don't have the skill. I don't have the ability. They don't know where I've been, what I've done, who I once was. But beloved, as we see this passage and many others, we see time and time again that God uses the most unlikely. Now, many today want to paint the Bible as a book that oppresses women. Right? The Bible would dare to say that a husband, that a wife should submit to the leadership of her husband. And many would say today that is demeaning and oppressive of women. Of course, we reject that. But as you open up the Scripture, especially the New Covenant, we see something quite the opposite. Consider what has happened today. A woman with a sordid past has been given this great privilege to find Christ and to announce that He has been resurrected. 
Now, you probably know this, but her testimony in a court of law in that day would have been irrelevant. She could see the crime happen right before her eyes. She could be called as a witness, and they would say, you're a female, go away. Your, 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 your testimony means nothing. It holds no weight in a court of law. But the Lord Jesus Christ, in his providence, ordains that this woman, this previous demoniac, would be the one that would find the empty tomb. Not only that, Jesus in his providence ordains that this woman would be the one that gets to see the Lord Jesus Christ alive from the dead. And not only that, but in his providence, he ordains that she gets to go to the apostles and announce to them, I have seen the Lord. I have to say, this is one of the greatest privileges in all of human history, to be the one that first laid eyes on the risen Christ and to go to the 12 apostles, 11 at this point, and say, I have seen Jesus. He is alive. Come, come and see. Do not think for a moment that God cannot, will not use you as well, that he might be even now stirring, drawing, forming a call to serve in his church, a call to serve for his kingdom. Mary Magdalene forever is remembered as the one that got to see first Christ risen from the dead. And the Lord loves to choose those who are unlikely. Remember Moses protested. I can't, I can't, I can't go before Pharaoh, superpower. I can't speak. I'm slow to speak. I'm, get someone else. I'm not the guy, he told God. And look what God did through Moses. Or how about Jeremiah, the prophet to the nations? God tells him, I'm sending you to the nations. And what does he say? I'm a youth. I'm a kid. I, I, I cannot do that. I'm too young. You need to pick somebody else. Maybe you're tempted today to say, I'm, I'm too young. I'm not there yet. I'm still in school. God couldn't use me. God doesn't desire to use me. I have to get to a certain age. Or maybe you're tempted to say, I'm too old. My time is past. I spent my years on other things, or I'm just tired, and how could I possibly be used by God? But beloved, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29. He does that because he gets the most glory when he uses the most unlikely. What might your legacy be for the kingdom of God? What imprint do you desire to leave on this world? And parents, what mark do you de desire to leave imprinted in the minds of your children? He uses the most unlikely. Secondly, number two, I said in exhortation, we too must run to tell any that will listen that Jesus is alive. We too must run to tell any that will listen that Jesus is alive. And remember, we do this with a precious promise that his sheep hear his voice. 
His sheep will hear their shepherd's call because he calls them by name. He calls them sovereignly and they come to him. He has a people, beloved, from every tongue, every tribe and every nation. And when they hear their shepherd's call at his appointed time, they will come to him. With one word, Mary's eyes were opened and she beheld the Christ that was already standing before her. And with one eye, the veil is removed and sinners behold the gospel that may be standing before them their entire lives. And all of a sudden it comes to life as he calls his sheep to himself. With one shout, the gospel saves sinners. And we are simply then, in this effort, we are simply then summoning creatures to come to their creator. We are summoning subjects to submit to their king. We are calling students to the one great teacher, and we are calling sinners to the Savior. And his will hear his voice. They will, as he pleases, respond to their shepherd's call. May we, beloved, as Mary did, run to tell all that Christ is alive. Amen.